Hi, and welcome to Walking on the Wild Side, a podcast dedicated to exploring the natural resources of the Southeast and hopefully instilling in you, our listener, a curiosity about our flora and fauna and fostering a sense of appreciation for the beauty and diversity of our natural resources. As always, I'm joined by my wife and co-host, Gabrielle, who is on her way to becoming quite the naturalist herself. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Walking on the Wild Side. We are front porch sitting, just like we normally do, unless we're out on some adventure somewhere, gosh knows where. Which we usually are. We are. I love adventures. You do love adventures. And, and you know, that's one of the things I do love about you. One of the many things. Oh, jeez. But you're always up for an adventure. Yeah, we, we, uh, we often go on little adventures, whether it be hiking or kayaking and stuff, but sometimes you indulge me, right? I do. Yeah, and and I can't tell if you're actually excited about doing it or if you're just trying to <laughs> trying to say, all right, let me just appease him and we'll no, be fine. No, I'm but... usually excited about doing it because I, I love our little outings and fun things that we do. I'm well, always up for fun. Well, a lot of them are, are focused around photography. Yep. But photography is just an extension of wanting to be able to see it and then also being able to capture that memory with a camera. So I remember going up to Ohio, and we, we do that when we go up there, especially around Christmas, and we look for the uh, snowy owls. Yes. And the last time we went so, up there, we saw that cute little uh, northern sawwet oh owl. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. That was, was one of our so adventures. so adorable. Uh, another time happened, we were living in a low country, and uh, there was a snowy owl. This is around January. Yeah. A uh, snowy owl was seen on Tybee Island crazy and so you and i went down there to see him and we saw him sitting on an apartment building we didn't get a really close look but you remember the cool thing about that one is is he was standing there and he was looking at one of those fake great horned owls that they use to keep (laughs) the pigeons away and i know he's looking there going man this guy's stiff he's not moving at all well that trip kind of morphed into something a little more because that during that trip there was a very very rare bird that occurred a little further inland from tybee in georgia and it was a European shorebird that showed up in the middle of somebody's pasture, and it was hanging out around a puddle. And, I mean, it was literally a half mile away. You could not get close to it because it was private property, but I wanted to right. see it. It was a northern lapwing, so it was like a uh, shorebird about the size, a little bit bigger than a killdeer, or, or about the size of a willet, but it had this long feather that came off the back of its head. Do you remember that? Yeah. We could see it in the spotting scope, but we couldn't see it very clearly. Right. And so, so I know when I pose those things to you, you're always up for it. And I remember vividly one time asking you, hey, babe, would you, uh, would you like to drive five hours to see one bird and maybe we will, maybe we won't see it? And you're like, absolutely. Let's go. So off we went. We were living in the low country and we drove all the way up to right outside of Simpsonville. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, in and, the uh, upstate of South Carolina. Total yes, opposite end of the state. Total opposite. And, and I had heard about this bird. Um, gosh, even when I was in Charleston. So, I mean, it was, uh, it's been around for a while. What, what kind of bird are we talking about? It is the scissor tail fly catcher. Scissor tail fly catcher. So there's had been one sighted up around Simpsonville, kind of near the, there's a prison up that way. And then there's a bunch of pastures out in that way. Mm-hmm. And he, he had been seen up there. And apparently they've had nesting records for this bird for quite some time. So you and I hop in the car, I mean, like 6 a.m., we drive yeah. all the way up there, and it's it's hot. I mean, it's a good toasty day, and uh, and we drive all the way up there, and we played a call, and I remember him flying in. You remember he came from way way across the pasture. Yep. Right. He was responding to that call, and as he flew in a little closer, we could see we could see the long tail. And we both got excited. Oh, there he is! There's that long tail, and I'll never forget. He flew up, 
and landed on barbed wire that wasn't even probably 20 feet away from yep. us. And right before he landed, he splayed that tail out, and both of us, our jaw just dropped. Yes. You remember seeing that? Yep. And I remember you looked away from the binoculars, looked at me, and you didn't even say anything. Your mouth was just wide open. <laughs> yeah. I'll, never, I'll never forget that. And then he started his feeding behavior, flying out, catching, coming back. Yeah, hawking those insects. Yeah. They call that hawking. Yeah. And it was so beautiful because when he would fly and you could see the underside of his wings, that beautiful peachy pink yes. colored So patch. remember he had the... So, so, guys, we're talking about scissor tail fly catcher. Now, the reason we're so excited about this bird <laughs> is... Usually, if you want to see a scissor tail flycatcher, you're either going to have to go to the south central United States, like Texas and uh, Oklahoma and that area, or you could look on the back of an Oklahoma state quarter because it's their state bird and it's yeah. on the back of the quarter. And that's really about it, other than seeing pictures on the internet. Um, we we discovered these birds. We weren't the ones that discovered it, but we had heard about them and we just we, we found them when we went and looked for them. Yeah. And, and it's this beautiful bird. And like Gabriel said, it's a mostly kind of a pearl white bird with dark wings, but and of course he's got that unmistakable tail. But yeah. they've got little little um, almost fuchsia little patches on their wings, and then they open up their wings and they've got that peach salmon coloring underneath their wings. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And the tail is actually spotted black and white, mm-hmm. you know, kind of lined and spotted. And, and, of course, now the male, you know, the male has the longer of the scissor tail. The reason they call them scissor tails is because they'll they'll spread that tail out and close it as they're perching. And that's why they call them scissor tails, because they open it and close like, like a scissor. scissor. opening. Yeah, it yeah. does. It really does. And they've really got the longest tail in proportion to their body length. I think a, a uh, they, they average around 13, 14 inches in length, and 9 inches of that is tail. That's crazy. On the male. Now, the female's got a little bit shorter tail. Um, and then also the, the immatures, when they are first fledging out, they, they rarely even have a fork to start with, but as they get older and if they're male, they develop that tail. And, and it's funny because when you see a scissor tail fly catcher fly, he's flying straight. They fly just as straight as they can fly and that tail is held, held straight back. Mm-hmm. But when they go to land, they flare it out. And that, that tail, you know, you would think it's just for courtship, but I mean that, that gorgeous tail. They spread it out and they use it to maneuver to catch insects in flight. They can literally turn on a dime with that tail. They are very acrobatic. You remember seeing that one flying? They were catching owl flies because I got I got yeah. a photograph of one yeah, in the you camera. Did. You remember? <laughs> and this little guy, I mean, his tail—they use that tail as a rudder. And and I can't really get over the fact that it's a it's an unmistakable bird. Yeah. I mean, we don't see birds with a tail in that length. Not like that. No. no. Again, they're not supposed to be here, so it's not something nope. you can go down the road and <laughs> see them. Now, if you're in Oklahoma, Texas, places like that, they gather and, and you know, it, they're common there. Yes. You know, and you can ride down the road and you can look on barbed wire fences. You can look on power line stuff. You'll see them all the time. They're unmistakable, that silhouette. Uh, you, you can find them, gosh, in farm uh, areas, fields, pastures, open grassland, savannas and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the same kind of habitat they come to here. Yeah. So the ones that they we don't saw, know they're not supposed to be here. They don't know they ain't Nobody in Texas or Kansas them. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the, the habitat is the same. And yes. that one place that we looked, if you look out across the uh, the pasture, it looks like you're either in South Florida at some of the cattle ranches down there or you're in Texas or Oklahoma. It, it's yep. just amazing. And, you know, I'm sure the birds see that and they think, well, this is just like I, where I want to live anyway. So 
a scissor tail fly catcher can show up anywhere. They can show up anywhere in the United States in migration because they're they're wide ranging. But the fact that we've actually had a few pairs around South Carolina not only show up, but mate, yes, nest and successfully raise young means, and they've done it consistently, which means that it actually needs to be kind of notated in their in their nesting range because you know we went and saw, like I said, up around Simpsonville. Yeah, and but, we'd gone a couple years. Uh, we we went like two or three times, yeah, so it's not yeah, like. Did. They just were there as a fluke and went away. Well, and you know it has to be a different pair, or it could be like the the small, um, the, the offspring, you know, yeah. coming back. But the other thing, too, is that now we live up here, you know, Chester area in the Piedmont. There's been a couple of sightings up here that we heard about, and we went and actually found them uh, at that location as well, which is unreal. So, And, and yeah. we discovered... Last week, they are nesting because we saw the nest and we, we saw babies. We saw babies. Yes, it was three it of them. It was so it? awesome. Yes. And, and that's about average. So it's not like they're just accidentally nesting and, and they just build a nest and don't lay eggs in it. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said. We actually saw them in the nest. We got to observe them through your camera lens and through the binoculars. The one little guy was hanging on for dear life. It's like his <laughs> his mates, his nest mates kicked him out, and he was like, oh, holding Which, on. And he grabbed his little beak and his wings. Turned and he himself just around, kind of like the back hokey in pokey. And... Yeah, yeah, he turned his life around. <laughs> yeah, he did. But I think, so successful nesting, you know what that means. That means if they're actually nesting here, we get to see one of the coolest behaviors. We'll talk about that in a minute. One of the coolest behaviors that really take advantage of that tail. But I, I just, I just want everybody to realize that this is not an accidental occurrence of these birds. We, we've heard about these scissor tail flycatchers in our area for the last five or so years. We heard the ones in Charleston. That's been going on since probably the, the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or even earlier than that. So it's a reoccurring thing with multiple generations. It's not just an accidental yeah. fluke and then it's gone and we don't see it again. So it's kind of cool. So that means that they're actually exhibiting courtship behavior. That means that a, a male is coming back, getting on territory, and then a female is coming in too. And guess what? They do the courtship. And the courtship yes. is spectacular because, and we saw it up in, uh, up in the area near Simpsonville. Yeah, yeah. You remember what it was called? I don't. The sky dance. The sky dance. So they fly yes. up high and then they they pause in midair, spread their wings, splay out that tail, and then they dive down in a V, chittering, chirping and stuff, and then they go back up and do it again yeah. and drop back down and do it again. And, and I'm going to tell you what, guys, it is spectacular with that black and white tail splayed out in full spread. I mean, it's got you know, you know that female. She doesn't have a chance. I mean, she sees that she's got to be like, okay, yeah. I would be. I'm I'd, good. I would absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so what they do is, is they they have their little courtship, they pair up, and then the female builds the nest. So, and it's surprising because about thirty percent of that nest is made up of like man-made materials. There's like mm-hmm. uh, they use a lot of plant fibers. They use branches and stuff. But then they also use like uh, cotton and they use like string, fishing and line, fishing line. That we one saw that. We that. saw the yeah. had fishing line, and in it. and they put all kinds of stuff in there. And then an interesting thing we'll talk about here in just a minute. They also put cigarette butts in there. They actually will find cigarette butts and put them in the nest. And initially, when I heard about that, I was like, oh, that's disgusting. You know, we shouldn't be littering and stuff. But there's, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to that. I want to talk about that in a minute. But um, but they, they make that nest, and, and they, they weave little fibers and roots and stuff into a little cup, and that's where she sits. So she's got a nice soft cup in there to lay her eggs. They lay around three to six eggs, and, and most of them will hatch. But we normally see an average of around three or four. And the ones we saw this year were, were three, we yep, think. There could have been another one, but... 
Uh, as far as we know, there were three uh, three fledglings that we well, saw. There was a fourth one. He was getting squished because those three that were in there were taking up Man, quite a bit of space. And they were getting close. So uh, it's funny because when you look at the scissor tail flycatcher and you look at all the stuff that they talk about with uh, the biology and the courtship and the nesting and all that stuff. So the the male, he doesn't help with the nest building at all. You know, some birds like uh, bluebirds, they'll build nests, but the female builds the nest. and And then on top of that... He hangs around and guards her. So he's like a sentinel. He is always watching. And, and so it's not like he just mates and leaves. He uh, he hangs out and he actually watches over her. And they it's funny because they choose the nest site together. And what's crazy is they fly around, they land on branches. They'll actually use their body and push up against limbs and branches and stuff to make sure they're strong enough. Got to test it out. Yeah. Make sure they get the right home. <laughs> very, very attentive. And, and so when she lays eggs... She'll incubate anywhere from about 13 to 23, 24 days. Okay. And once the babies hatch, they're only kind of, they're fledglings for about 14 to 18 days. And then they fly off, you know, and just like regular birds, the mom and dad will continue to look after them and feed them and then they'll, they'll migrate. And so after that nesting, when it comes time to migrate, it's crazy because these birds then gather in flocks of hundreds to thousands of birds wow. in the tops of trees. Can you imagine seeing a thousand scissor tail flycatchers? No way. Oh my God, that would, that would be, be breathtaking, wouldn't it? Yeah. So they do that. And then when they migrate, they migrate like to Central America. Uh, they migrate to South Florida, you know, places like the Florida Keys, uh, Southern Texas, you know, uh, Mexico. So they migrate there. And then of course they come back. And, and so they're called neotropical migrants, which basically means they, they go to tropical areas when they migrate and stuff so right and and you know scissor tail flycatcher we have flycatchers here we have gosh we have leashed flycatchers we have peewees we have phoebes we have uh was it the kingbird which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. you know the yeah. kingbird that's a flycatcher so we got quite a few flycatchers here and we see some in migration but none of them even approach the spectacular coloration and, and antics of a, of a scissor tail flycatcher that catcher. is the truth so, absolutely beautiful bird I, I just can't get over just how beautiful they are and when you see them they just take your breath away but what's really kind of funny about these birds is um their feeding behavior so they feed on like grasshoppers beetles and stuff but they do that behavior Mm -hmm. called sallying yes so sallying is where they stand at a perch fly out grab something come right back to the same perch sally forth and uh and they can so they eat beetles but you know in oklahoma like uh 50 percent of their diet is made up of grasshoppers you know, because mm. of their habitat in savannas yeah. and stuff. But then they'll also catch, in migration and also in the wintertime, sometimes they'll even eat berries so they can be omnivorous. But for the most part, they're insectivorous. Um, and they feed, actually, a lot of the pests that you would have on a farm and stuff, they feed on. So, you know, it, it's... That helps out. So they, they do have parts that they eat of a beetle, like the shell, you know, the wing coverings and stuff like that, that they can't quite digest. So guess what? They cough up a pellet just like an owl does. Wow. It's a little tiny pellet, and it's made up mostly of the the elytra or the uh, the wing coverings of of beetles and spiny parts that they can't digest, but they cough up a pellet just like a shrike does, just like an owl, like a hawk. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of songbirds do cough up little pellets that are uh, that Can you are dissect those just like you do an owl pellet? You could, but, but some of the parts are hard. And they're not like bones and stuff that you see. Oh, gotcha. So it's kind of difficult to see. But you'll see wing membranes sometimes, stuff like that. But, cool. but yeah, and, and it just like an owl, it looks to be the most painful thing in the world that you've ever <laughs> seen. But 
So you remember earlier we were talking about cigarette butts. Yes. So it's kind of crazy. The scientists have shown that, that they actually seek out these little cotton filters that cigarettes have. Really? Yeah. And the reason they do that is because there's nicotine in those filters. Yeah. And when they line the nest with like two or three of them in there, the nicotine actually acts like insecticide. You're they kidding. have these little mites and things that, that feed, or even little dipterin larvae like fly eggs and little maggots and stuff that actually can bite and, and on the legs and stuff and suck the blood from the nestlings. Hey, they put these little things in there, and guess what? It's like spraying it with insecticide, and they haven't really found any adverse effects on like the growth of the bird and stuff. That's what I was going to ask. It. There's no negative effects to the birds themselves that or they, the eggs. That or... they know because it's not in a high enough concentration to affect them. Oh, okay. it's, in, it's in a high enough to act as a deterrent. And they have shown that actually bird nestlings, as they develop, actually are healthier and larger with nicotine cotton filters from cigarettes than nest without. Really? Isn't that incredible? Huh. So it, nature's amazing. You, know, you talk about taking lemons and making lemonade. Well, yeah. You know, that's a good, good thing. example of that. So think about it. So here, here's the thing to think about, though. The birds don't need as many cigarette butts as being thrown out the window. So, you know, it's still not cool to be throwing cigarette butts out. No. But it is good to know that those aren't negatively affecting the birds that use them in their nest. So that's kind right. of, but that's just kind of a cool little fact with these little birds, you know. Huh. And they've got other adaptations, you know, for fly catching. They got the vibrissa, or like the little whiskers over their face to protect their eyes. Mm-hmm. They got the the nictitating membrane, you know. They've got all yeah. that the nictitating membrane. So they they've got these all these cool adaptations and stuff. But again, it goes back to that tail. Man, that is a spectacular tail, unmistakable. And, and that's why they call them scissor tail fly catchers. Now there there is another fly catcher that has a long forked tail. It's called the forked tail fly catcher, but its tail is not nearly as long as a scissor tail fly catcher. But here's the amazing thing. We would never know that the scissor tail fly catcher didn't exist if there weren't people out there and bird watchers watching. Now, it's kind of a catch-22. When you do find something cool like that, you kind of always wrestle internally with, should I tell people exactly where it is? Because, you know, we have a tendency sometimes we can love them with kindness and kill them with kindness, too. Um, but you want people to be educated. You want them to know about the whereabouts of this stuff. It was funny for me because I saw this scissor tail fly catcher when I was coming back from some errands I was running <laughs> for work. Right. And they were doing some work on stoplights and, and it was kind of near where the nest was. And I could see them up in the bucket working on the lights and the scissor tail fly catcher was flying over them and squawking at them and stuff. And I was so tempted to stop and say, hey, just want to let you know, man, that's a scissor tail fly catcher. It's a cool bird. <laughs> they would have looked at you like you had oh four my God. heads. Yeah, you know, I get that look. <laughs> and, and I know I probably, that, that would have been an educational moment. But you know what? Not everybody is excited as I am about scissor tail fly catchers when you're working in 101 degree heat. There's that. So I recognize that and I just kept driving. So, you know. Good for you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always that bad, but boy, it was an internal struggle, let me tell you. Because you know me, I love to educate and talk about these things. So the cool thing is we have um, we have on the internet in a lot of our states, they have what's called rare bird alerts. Yeah. And if you subscribe to some of these things, you can actually get the rare bird alert. And it'll let you know some uncommon to rare birds and, and kind of their approximate location. And then people can put notes and tell you where they are. And so the actual kind of excitement is to go see it but then also you realize by subscribing to rare bird alert you know there's ground rules right Mm -hmm. you don't trespass on federal lands and if it says no trespassing you don't 
because or on private land or on period, private land and respect matter. private yeah. land. But if you're on like a national park land or if you're on like a wildlife refuge land and it says do not enter, there's a good reason. You just may not know what that reason is. And so the last thing we need is for privileges to visit these beautiful areas taken away because yeah. people just don't follow the rules. And and here's here's something I had to learn. And it was hard for well, me to swallow. I would say, was it the hard way? <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. But the yeah, it probably was the hard way. I got to admit that. <laughs> but uh, but it's just because you're a photographer, just because you're a naturalist, just because you're a birder, doesn't mean that the signs don't apply to you. <laughs> and I and I, I had to learn that one. And trust me, when it says no trespassing. They mean no trespassing because one spot I went, I walked on the other side of the gate because I couldn't photograph through the gate. I walked on the other side of the gate to see a hooping crane, one of the rarest birds in the world, right? Yeah. Didn't matter what it was. I was trespassing. That's <laughs> yeah. right. So it's funny, those guys, and, and I don't, I laugh, but I don't fault them. They've got a job to do. And all we need is something to happen that scares that hooping crane or causes it to get injured or something like that. And, and right. that's on us. So. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny, um, and I told him I said, "Man, I'm sorry." And he was so patient. He said, "Look, man, I know you're excited about a hooping crane, but at the end of the day, he goes, don't look past the sign to see the bird. Look at the sign and then don't go see the bird." Okay, I said, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got it." So <laughs> anyway, go. but hey, there there is one certain thing about it. That's for sure. Uh, when you're out, you're not going to see any of these birds inside, right? You're going to have that's to go right. around and see them, but. Um, so that's it. You got any other questions about scissor tail fly catcher? Hey, you, you've seen them as much as I have. Yeah, that's right? true. That's true. Yeah, I, I just I, I love showing stuff like that to people because I mean, when you see that scissor tail fly catcher fly up, I mean, if if you don't drop your jaw, you you better check your pulse because <laughs> I mean, because you ain't alive inside yeah. if you don't get excited seeing yeah, that. Yeah, that's pretty so. spectacular. All right, so if you don't have any questions, you know what time it is, right? It's teaser time. That's exactly right. And so, do you have any clues for our oh. fabulous audience folks out there? I'm excited. Well, I'm excited about all of the episodes that we do, but this one coming up, so many things to talk about. Well, there are a lot of things, and we got other things, but I've got a hint for us. Okay, lay it on us. Uh, all around us, you know, especially here in the uh, in in the sunny South and stuff. The one hint I can give you is, are there be dragons? Oh, you like that one? That's pretty good. Yeah. So dragons all around us, there be dragons, but there's also dinosaurs. So that's yeah. our hint. We're going to talk about... Nobody's going to get that one. You don't think so? No. So we're going to talk about dragons and dinosaurs as a hint. We're not going to talk about the actual dragon and the actual dinosaur, but we're going to talk about some... Uh, some, some critters that... Some critters that make you think of dragons and dinosaurs. Yes. How about that? Yeah, there you go. Well, cool. Well, that'll be a good one. I'm looking forward to that one. That'll be fun because these little critters always intrigue me too. But and, you know, and I think a lot of people, because you yeah. see them and it's like, oh, what is that? Yeah, you do see them. And sometimes yeah. they get mislabeled. Right? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, they've just got a lot of cool adaptations and things that we can talk about that'd be really fun. So, yeah. yeah. So, we'll talk about dragons and dinosaurs next time, right? Yeah. As our hint. Yeah, well, yeah. cool. Well, you know, I, I think you can see all those things. And, and again, I was telling you, when we get out there and seeing all these rare birds and stuff, you're never going to see these rare birds and things like that unless you're outside walking, walking on, on the, the wild, wild side. side.